Thank you, Chris. My, my name is Brad Strong. Good morning. It's good to be here with you. It's a privilege to be here. Uh, just want to thank the team that has just constantly been up here putting this on. Some pieces have moved in and out. Some of them have been here every single Sunday since we've started this. And so just want to thank them. Also want to thank you, church, for being with us this morning. Uh, For some of you, this online church is great. It's your thing. You're introverted. You're in your house. It's wonderful. For others of you, it's a struggle. Uh, It's hard to pay attention. Uh, and, And it's just a thing you can't wait for to be over and that we're back in here so thank you for being with us both groups uh also as I was getting ready to come up here uh usually when I speak I see my family get on so I'm glad they're here too but also some of my Snowden families here today so good to see you uh that have joined us today online so uh got a lot to talk about today so we're just gonna dive right in and just just recognize that that as we're opening up to what we're gonna talk about we're in the summer months Uh, It's going to be a very different summer. 2020 is not going to allow for any normalcy by any stretch. Uh, But regardless, many of us during this time look forward to going on a vacation, escaping our normal everyday life in the pursuit of relaxation, discovery, and adventure. Sadly, there are some of us who don't have this capability, and before the day's over, we'll we'll speak to that a little bit. But however, those of us that can get to go, we, we love the time before the vacation where we're planning and imagining what our perfect vacation's going to look like. And then reality sets in. Our perfect vacation is rarely as perfect as we imagined. Sadly, our our pastors experience some of this right now as they've gone to the beach and there's a tropical storm coming in. It rains at the beach. Car troubles happen. Fog disrupts our perfect view. The ride we wanted to go on is closed for repairs. The food was terrible. The Airbnb looked a whole lot better in the pictures. You get sunburned on the first day. On top of all that, there's the day when nobody can get along. A day that was supposed to be fun quickly devolves into arguments with voices raised and ends with adults fuming and if they're present, kids pouting. And the king of all this, the one we look forward to the most, the one we think is going to be perfect in my experience is is Disney World, the happiest place on earth. You plan for almost a year for this epic trip, and in my experience, it is mostly fun, even as an adult, but invariably, there's that one day where, especially if you go at a busy time, you feel like you're spending a lot more time in line than you are actually riding the rides. Uh, one of my favorite comedians is Jim Gaffigan. I love how he talks about this. It's like you, Disney, going to Disney World is like you going to the DMV, and that's it. Or, or even better, uh, it's, it's like going, because you're in Florida, to stand in line on the surface of the sun. So, so it's a great little bit. I encourage you to catch the rest of it, but it really is a realistic picture for us adults at Disney World, trying to let our kids have fun, sweltering in the heat, waiting in another hour-long line. It's just not what we imagined it to be. So why have I started talking this way? Why are we talking about this? The reality is that we all have perceptions, We carry them around with us. We have ideas about the way things should be, not just about vacation, but everything in life. These perceptions come from our faith, from our longings and our desires, from our parents, our raising, our children, our education, our friends and other relationships, culture, our environments, our past, and numerous other areas. Needless to say, our perceptions of the world, how things are and how they should be, have very complicated origins, and they can run very deep. 
we're going to find out that the Jews in the scripture we're looking at today had an incorrect perception of the Messiah. The perception they held was wrong, but it was also deeply ingrained. And, and I hope today that we can empathize with them. I think sometimes we read passages like this and it's easy to point them out as the bad guys and point them, them to say, wow, look, at they got it wrong. I don't get it wrong like that. But, but I fear we have more in common with them sometimes than we would care to admit. We too have some deeply held perceptions that can sometimes be right and sometimes be very wrong. As we dive in, let's look at where we've been. We're going to be in specifically today, John chapter 6, verses 41 through 59. So if you want to follow along in your copy of the Word, you may be finding that now. Uh, We've been seeing Jesus throughout this time in the book of John uh, performing many miracles. And in between these miracles, he's having conversations, he's having times of teaching, he's talking about who he was, who he is, uh, why he came, and, and explaining a picture of why these miracles go along with his ministry, why, why it goes along with what he came to do. Uh, immediately preceding the conversation we're going to see today, we saw Jesus feed a multitude uh, uh, with a young boy's lunch. Uh, uh, the miracle of feeding the 5,000, really just 5,000 men, many, many more people in attendance, uh, and then had leftovers, an amazing thing. So Jesus had been going through uh, these miracles, providing food. He was healing. He even continued a wedding party uh, by turning water into wine. But we've also begun to see some dissension among the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people. Jesus had done and said some pretty radical things at this point, and it's going to get more so. And they weren't fitting the mold. They weren't fitting the perception that the Jewish people had of their Messiah. So I want you to join me as we read our scripture today. John 6, starting in verse 41. It says, So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is, this not, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. This little quick side note as we we dive in to the larger part of this passage. Um, As the church was forming after 
Jesus was crucified, they were, they were really weird to a lot of people. They were taking in orphans. They were uh, going into quarantine areas and helping the sick. Uh, that rings very much with us today. And, and the Romans really didn't know what to do with them. And so uh, what we're going to see both with the Jews here, with the Romans in this situation, and with us from time to time, we tend to discredit those things that make us uncomfortable. And the Romans would use a passage like this to say, those Christians are nuts. They are cannibals. Do you see this about eating flesh and drinking blood? What's going on? In, a, in an attempt to discredit uh, this growing Christian population among them. And as we come back to our scripture, we're going to see the Jews, like the Romans, also had some misconceptions, also had some things that they, they thought to be right and they were going to dis- diminish this thing that they didn't understand and they felt uncomfortable around. But the truth is, is we're not that different. It, again, it's easy to read passages like this and, and see the dissenters as the ones that, that aren't like us at all. But truly, we do have some things, and we'll have some things throughout our time this side of heaven that are incorrect, that, that we need to be open instead of immediately defending, instead of immediately diminishing, saying, hey, I had this wrong, and I need to move closer to the true Jesus found in the word. But it's hard sometimes. What happens when something rocks what you hold to be right? It's not always easy to deal with, and especially not easy to deal with when we're wrong. In fact, some of us, when we know we're flat wrong, we figured that part out, still fight tooth and nail to prove our wrong point of view. Men, we tend to be a little worse at this about coming around from that, and wives at home don't elbow him too hard. Uh, but, but we don't like to be wrong. We want to defend why, even though we know we're wrong, we were right. And I do find it interesting that, that amidst all the miracles Jesus has performed, the grumbling crowd seeks to diminish Jesus by discounting his deity. They saw him turn water, or at least heard about turning water into wine, feeding 5,000, walking on water, uh, all these things that he had been doing, and they're questioning his deity. And instead settling on, hey, you know what? We know his mom and dad. We know how all that birds and bees things work. How, how could Jesus come down from heaven? We, we know. This is, this is silly. But again, to their credit, the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ coexisting is, is a hard truth. It is a hard truth to wrap our minds around. Christ is fully 100% God, but also fully 100% human. And for me, this doctrine ranks right up there with trying to understand how the Trinity works. It's just difficult to understand. However, as I read God's word, I see that it perfectly describes the human condition and God's answer. And through that, I see that this doctrine of Jesus fits very well. While we have been focusing a lot on miracles for the past many Sundays, the Gospels never shy away from showing the humanity of Jesus. His relationships, his anger, his compassion, and even as he approaches the cross, his fear. The humanity of Jesus is every bit as important as the deity of Jesus. They go together. In the next several verses, we see Jesus responding to, to this dispute among the Jewish people. Verse 43, Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. 
Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. On first glance, it seems like this passage is starting out with Jesus just telling them to stop it. But anyone who has ever helped any human curb any behavior knows that that's a pretty stupid route to go. It just doesn't work. Just stop it never helps anyone overcome anything. You have an addiction, just stop it. Your marriage is falling apart, just stop it. Love each other again. Uh, it just doesn't work. And, and so when we look closer, we see that that's not what Jesus is doing at all. We see that he is saying to them, you will never find the Christ grumbling amongst yourselves. Instead, he's saying, you need to wrestle with the word of God. You need to look to the scriptures. Look to the Father if you want to know and see the Messiah. You have to hear from God. Jesus is the truth the Jewish scriptures have been pointing to all along. But this is what was intersecting with the misperception of the Jewish people here. This is, and, and at that point, Jesus even turns uh, with a little bit of a zing. Jesus also turns the argument back on them, implying that they must not be hearing from God if this is how they're acting, if this is how they are seeing him. Jesus then reminds us, too, that salvation belongs to God and God alone. No one comes to Jesus unless he is drawn by the Father. Through the hearing of his word and our believing response, we give our lives to Jesus and we are saved. We don't determine salvation. Their tradition and perception didn't determine salvation. We don't accomplish it. God does. After making this point, through the following verses, we find Jesus rehashing a teaching that has been worked through in prior verses with his disciples and it's the idea that he is the bread of life and this leads to heightened arguing among the crowd only seeing his statement at face value asking how can this man give us his flesh to eat and going on Jesus would even offend them further when he adds not only eating his flesh but also drinking his blood which mosaic law strictly forbade any drinking of any blood of any kind Draining blood from an animal was extremely important. It was a vital step for the Jew to be obedient in how he prepared his food. So this would have had their jaws hitting the floor. The modern day equivalent that I could think of is if we were going to take Jesus' statements at face value, uh, it would be like, hey, I want you to come to me, but first eat this puppy. It's, it's grotesque. It's something we couldn't do. It's just, oh, just, just it, it, we couldn't wrap our minds around it to take it at face value. But what is really happening here? Is Jesus is masterfully using a metaphor. And this metaphor is going to begin to take his followers from what is temporal to what is eternal. One of the main tenets of Jesus' earthly message was to call us to turn away from the things of this world and to turn toward the things which mattered eternally in his heavenly kingdom. In this one conversation, Jesus is saying a tremendous amount. I've settled on five things. You could probably pull out more. Uh, but number one, he's using food <coughs> intentionally. Because we need it to survive. Food sustains us. And just like we need food, we need Jesus to live. A second point is, is Jesus is also leaning into the idea that the sustenance of food is rather short-lived. One meal, it's, it's not going to last very long. Uh, the longest a human can go is maybe a couple weeks without food. And, and we'll soon need to eat again. It's this reminder that, that we need to be continually... Uh, eating this food, but the eternal food that Jesus offers lasts forever. He then points to eternity. 
in that very turn. He says, Jesus is the bread of life. When your ancestors, uh, those guys we talk about all the time in synagogues, when they ate the manna, they still died after that. But you eat this bread and you will live on earth and forever. Then again, that idea of having to continually come back to food turns to our need to continually come back to Jesus. That we continue to work out our salvation. We continue to sit at his feet. We continue to be filled by his word. We, can, we, we stop what we are doing to be with him and we adjust our lives according to what we find. It is a lifelong process, continually coming back to Jesus, coming back to his word, taking that time daily to, to approach him. And finally, as if frustrated with them, Jesus lets us know this bread is not like other bread. See it differently. In essence, Jesus is offering up what Paul would say later in, in 2 Corinthians four sixteen through 18. He said this, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. All these things that our flesh, our, our, our self before Jesus that we still struggle with, wants to chase after, they don't last in this world. Jesus offers treasure that will last, and it's those things that are unseen. All the miracles Jesus were doing were fitting with offering those temporal things, those transient things, offering food, offering wine, healing you for a time. And, and it looked like the Jewish perception was we're getting this earthly savor that we have been longing for. And, and at some point he's going to pick up his sword and we're going to kick Rome out and we're going to have our nation again. When is he going to do that? But all of a sudden now, and especially throughout the rest of the book of John, Jesus is breaking that idea down and starting to say some pretty crazy stuff. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. What is he doing? Jesus is showing them that he wanted more for them and he wants more for us. He wants us to chase the things unseen. One of the best examples uh, to, to play this point out that I've ever seen, and if we were here we could do it interactively, uh, but I've seen it done enough and it always ends the same way, is, is to ask a crowd of people, especially with parents in the crowd, uh, what do kids want? And invariably you'll hear the responses of the latest Xbox or PlayStation or Nintendo Switch or a scooter or, or, or new clothes or that new, newest iPhone or uh, the AirPods to go with the newest iPhone and, and, and all of the above things that, that we know our kids want. That, that, that it's birthday or Christmas, they're going to be asking for them. But then to turn that phrase and say, parents, what do you want for your kids? And immediately it'll change to hearing things like respectful. I want them to be respectful. I want them to be loving, compassionate. Eventually you start hearing the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And invariably, if it's a Christian crowd, you always hear somebody say, I want salvation. All things we can't see. All things that last. Moving forward, I believe the key to this entire conversation Jesus is having can be found in verse 56. Jesus says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, abides in me, and I in him. Just like we keep coming back to the dinner table, we keep coming back to Jesus. Now the great truth here is that Jesus is always there, waiting for us to come to him. 
he abides in every believer for eternity. Jesus simply asks that in return we abide in him. And it's easily asked, but hard to do. The struggle of the Christian life in many ways is the fleshly desire to pull away from Christ. I envy those who who have such a seeming ease of abiding in Christ, of daily walking with him, who seem to never have a doubt and are quick to believe in all circumstances. I'm envious, I'll admit that. I don't always believe them. There's a few I do, that they're always like that. I actually resonate more with Robert Robinson, who penned the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, when he says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. I have to day by day, hour by hour, be reminded that it's Jesus and Jesus alone I am to abide in. It's a daily practice, like eating. Best done throughout the day. And the truth I abide in shows the direction of my heart. The truth I abide in shows the direction of my heart. And so as we close this portion of the message and move on to the latter part, I see four things of ways we can abide in throughout our lives. And the first one is, is Jesus or not. Jesus or no. We're either going to abide in Jesus or abide completely in ourselves. Uh, this is where if you don't know Jesus, I would say that it is much preferable that you seek to abide in him rather than anything this world has to offer. His word paints a wonderful picture and sometimes grim picture of how broken we are, how broken this world is, and the answer. And so I'd implore you that when you're abiding in things of this world and not finding answers, look to Jesus. Know that he died for you. He rose again to defeat death for you and he waits for you to respond to him. The rest are for us who know Jesus, who are believers. Some of us abide in me, then Jesus. It's, I know what's right. I'm going to figure this out. My savings account's gone. I can figure out how to get that back. Or I lost my job. A lot of times it's financial. I can figure this out first. And if I can't, uh, we'll pray about it. Or any number of things. It's, my car's about to fall apart. But I, I can keep it going. I don't need to pray about things like that. Jesus calls us to lay our burdens on him. I'll fix it. And if I can't, then I'll talk to Jesus. Me, then Jesus. Or I, I, sometimes this centers around and, and, and marked to our current place we are in, in who I vote for. My vote will fix America and then Jesus. The other route we can go is Jesus plus. The whole idea of if you're at church growing up, some churches had an offering envelope that had check boxes on it. Of I read my Bible daily, I, I came to church, I went to Sunday school. Those things, I, I, I know Jesus loves me and I love him, but I also need to abide in these things I do for him. Jesus will be happy with me if I X, Y, Z. And that's not, neither of those is what Jesus is calling to do. Not me then Jesus, not Jesus plus. Jesus called to abide in him alone, Jesus alone. I think it's impossible except for brief moments this side of heaven to stay in that lane. But it's what he's calling us to do and it's why we need this daily returning to him to be reminded of, of where I'm getting in the way on either side of this, me first or adding to him. 
to be able to abide in him and him alone. The more we remove ourselves and abide in Jesus, the more our perceptions will change. Jesus came down and took on our perspective so that we could begin to gain his. I want to close today. I'm a very practical person, and I want to know how does this apply to what we're doing today specifically, what we're seeing, what's going on. Um, And I want to share my heart in that, and and I want to know if I end up saying something stupid. Please discuss that with me. I don't. But this is my heart. Um, And that's that we have a lot that needs to change, that we have a lot of perspectives on on many different sides uh, in this country that needs to change. There are a lot of, way I see it, there's a lot of rocks in this world, and those of us in majority and middle upper classes, we, we don't ever have to turn those rocks over and see what's under them. We can live our entire lives pretty comfortable, maybe not in situations like 2020, but in large part, we can go through our lives never knowing. Things under those rocks are things like unfair business practices, slavery and inhumane labor, homelessness, broken medical systems, and yes, a justice system that is not justice for all. And when we turn over these rocks, we see real people and real problems. And many of us, if we're honest, our initial response is to simply ignore it. Just put it back. Or be passionate about it for a time and then put it back. But that's not and never should be a Christian response. I realize, too, as a white middle class man, I'm woefully inadequate to speak to anything going on uh, with the Black Lives Matter protests and, and what's going on with that. I don't have the answers. I know some things I've learned. Um, I do know that my black brothers and sisters are hurting and have been hurting for a long time. I know my experience is not their experience, and their experience in large part has been extremely unfair, lacking justice and mercy, support, and love from fellow Americans and from us as Christians. In large part, for the last few years, I've, I've been a learner, and I encourage my white brothers and sisters to prayerfully listen with love and without doubt first, hear the stories, proactively read and seek information. But a good word of warning here, and, and got this from my coffee group yesterday from talking, and Matt Roberts says, you know what, we can't just pray and listen as the church. Because too often the church has prayed and listened, and that's what we're claiming to do. We're going to pray and listen and pray and listen, and, and the ebb and flow of events in society, this event moves on, and the next event comes up, and we've really not done more than pray and listen. And I'm reminded, as, as we read through this Gospel of John, that yes, we pray, yes, we listen, we learn, but we don't stop there. Because our Savior Jesus is a man of action. And I don't always know the action I need to take. I know some I have learned, I said, but uh, I know some things we can do is, is just say and honor the names of people that have been in these situations and died. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey. And regardless of where you land on that, lament. Because there's a death. There's a family hurting. There's somebody that died before our view of when they were supposed to. Lament. It's something we're not good at anymore. But take time to lament that a life was lost. I want my black brothers and sisters to know that we're here to support you, but we want to do it in the way that's needed. And I don't begin to presume what that is. We want to respond in love as we move through all this. We want to pass it on to our children that racism's learned, 
I, I confess I succumbed to this to a degree as a child. Uh, and I had to work my way out of some misperceptions. I want to teach my children what's right and wrong in this matter. I need some help knowing what's right and wrong in this matter. And I want to teach them to be upstanders, not bystanders. I, I know these things because of things I've seen and learned. I, I had an initial experience of watching a black friend of mine accused of throwing a drink on somebody that was never six feet near him and get kicked out by security of where we were. I know I've had to work through my own prejudice. I know because I've asked questions. I told you I'd circle back. We had the vacation example, and I was hesitant to put that in here at the very beginning of the message because I know some of my friends that have been scared to go on vacation because they're scared the out-of-state plates would cause stops, and they afraid, or we were afraid of the interaction those stops would cause. Realistic fear or not, they were afraid. And I know I need to be present. Be present. It's going to look different for different people, and I don't have all the answers. The one thing I'm going to stress is that we ask. I had some examples of things we could do, but just ask. What I want to land on is, is how we know Jesus is the answer. As the church, we know that Jesus is the only one that can truly change hearts. He can truly heal heart wounds and change hard hearts for eternity only he has that ultimate power jesus came down to live as i said before as fully as a man to took on our perspective so that we could begin to gain his and through that we need to pray for christ-centered reconciliation it's the ministry we're called to to reconcile we need to abide in him as we go through these battles of perception because make no mistake our perception of jesus and the place we give him in our lives fuels our perception of other people. And it's a grave sin when we reverse that and let our perception of Jesus be fueled by the world and what things outside of his word and outside of his scriptures have taught us. We have to abide in him daily. We have to seek those things in our heart. This has been a time for a lot of us with some extra time to really introspect and say, are there things in me that need to change? Are there things in me that, that I swore I was right about, Jesus, but you're trying to tell me I was wrong? And finally, I'm always reminded when societal issues are, are just boiling over the top, that Jesus called us to pray for kingdom on earth as it is in heaven and to be ambassadors of that kingdom. Because saved or not, people know, especially in 2020, that this is a broken world. And the kingdom of God is the answer. We know because of the end result that we read in Revelation of this whole plan of God that the kingdom is multicultural. That all creeds, races, colors, everybody together are welcome into God's kingdom. I'm thankful that I'm part of a church that loves to move towards people that are different from them. You saw in our video today with the Roberts family how their family looks different from person to person. I'm thankful for my job, that I go to a school, hopefully go back in August face-to-face, that I see people that look very different from me, that have very different experiences from me, and we get to help reconcile. It's a burden. I ask you to pray for me because I've got to lead that as well. And I want us to continue, because of the kingdom, to move toward people who are different. Love people. If we were here gathered together right now, we would begin to get ready to celebrate the Lord's table. 
And there's no doubt that the scripture we read today brings to mind that practice, talking of the bread and the blood. But the Lord's table, in large part, is all about remembering the sacrifice of Jesus, who he was, who he is, what he's here to do, and how he wants us to abide in him. So church, as we go through societal issues like this, where we stumble, and I know this is a little stumbly, uh, going through what are we supposed to do? May we abide in Jesus through the entirety. May it not be, I have the answers, and if I can't figure it out, then Jesus. May it not be, Jesus loves me, and because Jesus loves me, I need to do X, Y, Z for this situation. But it may it be, I'm going to abide in Jesus alone. And as he directs me, I want to follow him in his kingdom work. Church, pray with me. Father, we love you. And my prayer today is simple. God, we read a passage where um, perceptions were wrong. The Jews in our passage today did not know the true Jesus. They knew the Jesus, the Messiah they were looking for. And the true Jesus wasn't fitting that mold. And God, it's easy to just dismiss that and say, well, I know Jesus died for me. I, I believe. But God, may we use this moment to look into our own hearts, whether it's about this situation or something entirely different. God, where are there misconceptions in our heart that keep us from loving people, that keep us from doing your kingdom work, that keep us from fully abiding in you, that would have us say, me first, then you. Or yes, Jesus, but I need to do these things for you. God, may it not be. God, may we be reminded to meet with you, to abide in you, to shout down the cries of the flesh that would pull us from that, that we may do your kingdom work. And in that work, God, you've told us what's required of us. And God, that first part of Micah 6, 8 just sticks out to me right now, that we are to seek and do justice. And God, as we do that, we, we love mercy and kindness. We seek justice in the world. We try to bring kingdom to the world through love and kindness. And all that, for me, for Mercy Hill Church, for the church around the world, as we seek justice, do justice, love mercy, God, may we walk humbly with you. Because without walking humbly with you, we lose our course. We lose our way. You abide in us. May we abide in you. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.